Welcome, you are listening to Unlocking the Truth, the podcast channel by Precept Ministries Canada. Come discover God's truth for yourself by studying His Word and deepen a personal transformational relationship with God. This series called In Faith Alone will get you deep into the Book of Romans. Dig deeper by following along with the Bible study, Experiencing the Power of Life-Changing Faith, the new inductive study series on Romans, available at preceptministries.ca. Now here is Mark Sheldrake with Unlocking the Truth. Hello everyone, Mark Sheldrake here. Welcome to another episode of Unlocking the Truth podcast. We're currently working through our series in the book of Romans. We are finishing up segment three this week, heading into segment four uh, very soon. So thankful that you are joining in with us online, whether it be through iTunes, Spotify, or you're directly on our website. So thankful for all of you who are listening. Thank you for the encouragement that continues to come in. And we're starting to meet some new people who are listening each and every episode, uh, seeing people at our live training workshops and telling us about how they listen to the podcast. So a phenomenal uh, blessing. Thank you for that. As you know, because we send this out onto the internet, we don't always know who listens each and each and every week. Of course, we have our analytics that tell us we have people listening, but it's great to hear from you. And folks, I wanted to challenge you that if you have been listening through uh, the book of Romans or any of our other podcasts, maybe you started from the very beginning and you've seen how the podcast has changed over the year, a uh, couple of years that we've been doing it. But if the Lord has been working in your life, we want to share that story with others. Would you take a few moments and just email us at info at preceptministries.ca so that you can tell us how God has been working in your life through the Unlocking the Truth podcast. Maybe you have used this tool as an enhancement to a Bible study that you're already teaching. Maybe you were introduced to inductive Bible study through this podcast and ended up at a training workshop. Whatever it is, we'd love to hear from you because we are gathering all of our stories for our year-end newsletter that's going to be heading out into the country very soon. And we want to share about the Unlocking the Truth podcast and that ministry uh, and what it's been accomplishing, not only in Canada, but around the world, because we are hearing of people who are listening in different countries. So we're thankful for that. Uh, we want to encourage uh, the people in Canada who have been funding this ministry to show them that this is having an impact in the lives of people all over. So again, info at preceptministries.ca or you can go on our website and click the Contact Us button and send it through our website form. Folks, we're heading back to Israel in 2024, uh, and if you would like to join us on the Israel tour, uh, we only take one bus on that Israel tour, uh, 48 spots available, registration is open, and you can go to our website and register <clears throat> for the trip. It is a phenomenal trip. It is a Bible teaching trip, and uh, we will spend wonderful days in the Holy Land on the sites teaching the Word of God, reading from the Word of God, and then we will head 
to Petra, and we will visit Petra and then fly back to Canada. So we have two packages available this year. We have a land-only package if someone wants to fly from somewhere else in Canada and the United States and get there on their own. They can do so, or they can fly with us, which is a flight out of Toronto. But all the information is on our website at preceptministries.ca. Register today. Spots always fill up quickly, and we want to make sure that uh, you are on that trip. So that's it. That's all the announcements I have for this week. Let's just take a few moments, and we are going to pray commit our time to the Lord, and then we'll kick into episode 11 of the Romans podcast. Father, we thank you for the time that you have given us. We thank you for this technology, as we always do, Lord, because it's because of this technology that we are able to record this podcast, that we are able to send it out over the internet for people to be engaged with it, Lord. And we're thankful for the testimonies that have come in, and we pray for more that people would share what the Lord has been doing in their life. And we're thankful that people are tuning in and they are being encouraged and lifted up. And I pray that even this week, as we look into Romans chapter 11, that you would uh, be with us as we study these uh, truths and that we would uh, be able to um, take them and uh, live them out in the world that we're living in today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Folks, like, the Romans podcast is almost over. I mean, there's... We, we, we release it bi-weekly, so it's probably going to last for a couple more months. But, but, but it's almost over. Like, we're, we're coming to the end of the third segment this week, and then we're going into the fourth segment, and, and then we're done. So, uh, Romans 11 is really the ending of all of this uh, doctrine that's being laid out. And then... Chapter 12 starts with a summary and then moves us into uh, the principles of now that we know this, how are we going to live it out? I mean, I can't wait for the next episodes to come, but, but we can't skip this one. And so let me review with you some of the things that we have covered uh, throughout our podcast, because maybe you're just tuning in to this one because uh, it dropped into your mailbox or your email box, and you're like, I'm going to click on this and see what this is all about. Folks, you need to go back and listen to right from the beginning. But Paul, he starts out the entire book of Romans, and he talks about how he is set apart for the gospel, that uh, the gospel is the power of God to save, that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And that the entire theme of the book is that the righteous shall live by faith. He also presents the problem is that there are men who suppress the truth, that God has made himself evident since the very beginning of creation, his invisible attributes, and that because of God being visible in creation, that God has been visible in his word to the Jewish people, that man, all men are without excuse to say that they did not know God and they did not know that God hates sin. And now then Paul, as he says, because God hates sin, that all men will face judgment. All men will stand before God because of judgment. But the answer to the sin problem is Jesus. And that Jesus, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, that when we believe in Jesus— 
that we are no longer condemned by our sin, but we are now justified and made righteous before God. We're now in right relationship with God because God looked upon the sacrifice of Jesus and said that Jesus' sacrifice was acceptable to him. And it is by faith in believing in Jesus that we are saved. It's not by our works that we are saved. There's nothing that you and I could ever do to be saved by, uh, by our works. We can only be saved through faith. And this is what Paul has been building in through all of the book of Romans. He tells us that when we are saved by faith, that we are then dead to sin and alive in Christ. That because we are dead to sin, sin no longer reigns over us and we are free from sin. That we're no longer a slave to sin, but we are a slave to righteousness. It means that we are now identified different. We now identify with Jesus and we don't identify with the world. And because of this, uh, in light of that, we are being conformed into the image of Jesus day by day. Uh, these principles Paul has taught through uh, many of his letters. And then in ver chapters 9 to 11, he addresses the Jews. And he begins with his heart for the Jews, that he is grieved by the very fact that they do not believe in Jesus. That his hope and his desire of chapter, chapter 10 is that they would be saved. And that, again, he reminds them, salvation comes by faith. He tells the Jewish people, he says that all you have to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and you will be saved. Confess that Jesus is Lord of your life. And then as he comes to chapter 11, we remember that as we've come through these episodes, chapter 9 was Israel's past. Chapter 10 was Israel's present. And chapter 11 looks at Israel's future. And so uh, we'll be jumping between present and future in chapter 11, but that is the standard for where we're headed. The, the whole principle of chapter 11 is the future of Israel, which brings us to the point. It brings us to the point that there are some who believe in the idea of replacement theology, that the church has superseded Israel and that the promises of God that were given back in the Old Testament are now being fulfilled in the church. The promises of restoration to the land, uh, those who believe in replacement th theology say they're more allegorical promises that relate to the church. There are a lot of issues with the theory of replacement theology that the church replaces the Jews. Some of the issues with it is the very fact that the Jewish nation still exists today. Uh, they are a nation again. And from clear observation of Scripture, all right, what I mean by that is just looking at the Scripture without interpretation indicates there's no way that God is finished with Israel. 
So this week in the episode, we're going to look at four truths that show God has a plan for his chosen people. All right, so this is not about debunking replacement theology. We're just going to let the Word of God show us four truths that God is not done with Israel. And so we're going to pick up uh, verse 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 1 to 6, and listen to what Paul says here. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham and a tribe and the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people, whom he foreknew. Or do you know what the scriptures say in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophet, they have torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In the same way, then, there also uh, comes to be, at the present time, a remnant according to God's gracious choice. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. All right, so let's look at uh, these verses and we're going to bring out these four truths. The first truth is this, that Paul uh, shows us that God is not finished with Israel because of his own example. All right, so he tells us right there in verse 1, he he brings the question, uh, God has not rejected his people, has he? Okay, so that's the question. And the answer is, may it never be. Why? Well, Paul says, because I am an Israelite. I'm Jewish. I'm a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. And guess what? Paul is saved by faith. Let's look at uh, the book of 1 Timothy, and we're going to look at 1 Timothy for a moment and and see what Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 1, uh, verse 16. Uh, He tells us, um, let me go back. Let me go back to verse 12, 1 Timothy 1, verse 12, and, and let's bring the context in. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Jesus. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me as foremost, Jesus might dem- Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Remember, in the context, is God finished with Israel? And he says, no, I am a Jew. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 16, Paul lays out that he was saved 
even though he viewed himself the foremost sinner of all. And that if God can save him, God can save anyone. And so that's the first thing that Paul tells us in these verses, is that if he can save me, he can save you. And so is God finished with Israel? May it never be simply by the example of Paul. All right, that's truth number one coming from verse one, is that he was saved. He was saved, and he's Jewish, and he was a persecutor of the faith. He was one who killed Christians, and he by faith believed in Jesus. He was saved and then put to work, given the ministry, uh, his life set apart for the gospel, which he tells us in Romans chapter 1. All right, the second proof of God not being finished with Israel is historical proof. And the historical proof comes from the example of Elijah. Verse 2 says, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, that he, how he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? I've kept for myself 7,000 men whom have not bowed the knee to Baal. And so right here in these verses, we see a couple of truths. First, in verse 2, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Okay, God's chosen people, Israel. God's not rejected them. All right, we know historically and from this podcast that the people rejected God. But God has not rejected them. Even though through the history that Paul is showing us, the history that's going on, uh, the disobedience that was going on during the time of Elijah, that God kept a remnant of 7,000 men. And so when he kept that remnant of 7,000 men, God was being gracious and keeping those people uh, as a part of his family and not rejecting completely Israel. Uh, then we get to verse 5. In verse 5, it says, In the same way, then there also has come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's choice. So remember, as we walked through the text, we looked at Israel's past, we looked at Israel's presence, and we're going to be looking at Israel's future. But the question is, and that's why context is always king, has God rejected his people? Well, no, in the time of Elijah, God didn't reject his people because he kept a remnant of 7,000 men. In the same way, at this present time, there is a remnant of believing Jews. Those That remnant received or obtained salvation by faith, not by pursuing their own righteousness. Listen to what Paul says in verse 6. But if it is by grace, it's no longer on the basis of a works of works. 
Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. And so if you remember back, we've, we've looked at how God chose and foreknew these people. And cho- when he chose them, he chose them for salvation in the same way this remnant was chosen. And they have been kept and protected, and they are kept and protected now. And it's all on the basis of God's grace that God will extend mercy to those that he chooses to extend mercy to. That's what we looked at in the last episode that we just came through. So it's only by the grace of God that man can be saved. It's by our faith in God. Uh, That's the action that we take, but it is by God's grace and God's choosing. Then we come to the next part of this historical proof, which which become very difficult verses for us to, to understand in the sovereignty of God. All right, in the sovereignty of God, these verses become hard to understand because some might ask, well, why does God do this? And we, we need to look at it. We need to lay these truths on the table before we get any further. But it says, uh, what then? Okay, so if it's by grace, what then? What Israel is seeking, it has not obtained. But those who were chosen obtained it. So think about it this way. Okay, it's those who are seeking salvation by works. They did not receive salvation because they didn't believe. All right, so they continue to do their works versus have faith. But those who were chosen those who were chosen by the grace of God, uh, believed in the gospel, and they have obtained salvation. So this is of that remnant, right? We're talking about that remnant in context. The remnant that was chosen and and set aside, just like the 7,000 were set aside from, from the time of Elijah, they had salvation by grace through faith. And so they obtained salvation. But the rest, those who did not, those who are not a part of the remnant, listen to what Paul says, and he uses Old Testament uh, scripture here to pull it all together. He says, uh, those who were, uh, the rest were hardened, just as it was written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see, uh, eyes to see not, and ears to hear not down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not. The, these uh, verses are, are, are pretty profound verses for us to, to look at. And so remember that what we saw earlier in chapter 10 was that the Jewish people, they had a zeal for God, but it was not in accordance with knowledge. So in spite of all of their intense, their their zeal for God, their, their zeal for obtaining righteousness and standing right before God, that they did not obtain it. But because their hearts were hardened, they rejected God. 
in their stubbornness and their rebellion, their hearts were hardened. And this is what Paul is trying to show us, is that what God was doing was he was not rejecting Israel, but he was hard, their hearts were hardened because of their disobedience in what God um, called them to do when being obedient. And so David, when David prays, he, he prays that uh, judgment would come upon those whose hearts were in rejection to the scriptures. So we've got to kind of pull this all together here for a minute because what the principle is is that God has hardened Israel's heart so they would not see or hear or hear. And then Paul uses David, uh, David's psalm to pray judgment over those who outright rejected Christ. Wow. But Paul goes on to tell us, and he goes on to tell us that because of these hardened hearts, we get truth number three. And a part of understanding the sovereignty of God becomes truth number three, is that God's plans are greater than we can ever comprehend. And so it brings about a question in verse 11. In verse 11, it says, uh, I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? All right, so let me reword this question. The question is, did Israel fall too far to be saved? Or, better yet, is it over for Israel? Remember, the first question that Paul asked was, has God rejected Israel? May it never be. Did Israel fall too far to be saved? Or is it over for Israel? Because now they have hardened hearts. They can't hear. They can't see all of this that's happening. And then Paul lays out God's greater plan that is far beyond us to be able to fully comprehend. Right? Because we ask the question, well, why would God harden hearts? Doesn't God want all to come to Jesus and none to perish, according to Peter's letters? Why the hardening of the hearts? And he starts to tell us this in verse 11. I say then, they did, they did not stumble as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. All right, so here, here, let's lay this out simply this, okay? So what we've got uh, is, he, is it over for Israel? The answer is no. Because sin, Israel's sin and rejection of God opens the door for salvation for the Gentiles. And the reason that there is salvation for the Gentiles, as Paul states it, is to make the Jewish people jealous. Look what he says in verse 12. Now, if their transgression 
is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? It's not over for Israel, but I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles. Inasmuch that I am an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. You, you, you think about the history of Israel that we've looked at in chapter 9. Remember, as, as we go through, we have past, present, and future. And if you look at the past, we've got to think about the promises of God. And the promises of God, they came to Abraham, that Abraham would have an heir, and that they would be a chosen nation that they would become a nation through that heir, that he would have many descendants, and that God would be uh, theirs and he would be their people. And this is the promises of God that have come all the way through. Israel is God's chosen people. And everything that we see within the Old Testament is about how God has a desire His heart's desire is for his chosen people to return to him because they were chosen. They were set aside. They were set as holy before him. They were given the law. They were given the tabernacle. They were told to build the temple in which God would dwell among his chosen people. These people had the oracles of God in their hands. Moses heard the very voice of God on Mount Sinai. Uh, God walked behind Moses. The mountains shook with the presence of the glory of God. Moses' face glowed because the presence of God walked past him and he had to wear a veil because his face was so bright. God has interacted with his chosen people throughout the Old Testament. And what did those people do? Those people rejected God. They walked away from God. You see, God is not done with Israel. God has an everlasting covenant with this group of people. That's why the church cannot replace Israel is because you can't replace an everlasting covenant, and that covenant was made with the Jewish people. But listen to how Paul describes this. Because what's so amazing in this, in verse uh, 15, he says, if their rejection is reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life? from the dead. So there's a couple things to look at there. Uh, God's plan, remember, is greater than we could ever comprehend. Why does God harden the hearts of the Jewish people so they can't hear and they can't see what's going on? Well, it opened the door for the Gentiles. And you see all of the Gentiles that we see in all, you know, me included, you included, saved by grace, by faith. We get to experience the inheritance of the kingdom of God. Paul tells us that we have been grafted into the covenant promises. 
and all of that to make the Jew jealous. Wait a minute, those promises were for us. And now they get to have those promises? Well, you rejected, and the door has opened. And Paul says, man, if the very fact that that if this makes a Jewish man jealous and brings him to salvation, praise the, praise the Lord. I think about, you know, when you're, you have two children and they want to fight over a toy. That's my toy. Well, no, it's their turn to play with it for a little while. But that's mine. I want that. That's what Paul wants for the Jew. Them to see all these Gentiles coming to salvation and being partakers of the promises of God and be in receiving the inheritance that's promised to to the Jewish people because they're now grafted into one body through the blood of Jesus Christ. And a Jew says, well, wait a minute, why do they get to, oh, oh, I have to believe. I have to enter into the kingdom of God through faith. I want that. I want to get that back to make them jealous. For if their rejection of the gospel brings reconciliation of the world. Think about that. What greater thing will be given to Israel than being given life from the dead? It's absolutely amazing. Their reconciliation, their rejection of the world, of the gospel brings reconciliation to the world. What will the Jew receive? Salvation. They'll come back to life. They'll be brought back from the dead. He gives us some, some examples to look at here in verses 16 and on. If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich of the of the rich root of the olive tree, don't be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root that supports you. (laughs) Hey, Gentile, don't get arrogant. Don't get arrogant about your salvation and that you got to receive the blessings and the inheritance of salvation through faith that was first promised to Israel Don't get cocky about it because all of the promises were rooted in Israel. Even though some of the branches were cut off for a little while, guess what? Israel's still holy. Israel's still set apart. Israel's still God's chosen people. Israel is still 
the focus of the covenant, Paul says we just were grafted into that. We still receive life because of the root, the root which is all the promises that were given to Israel. Is God done with Israel? Absolutely not. Is it completely over for Israel? Absolutely not. But there is a time that they have been blinded and put into a stupor, and that time has been brought in for the purpose of reconciliation of the world. But if the world is reconciled by the Jewish people's rejection, what will be greater for the Jews is that they will be brought back to life. Which brings us to the future. Verse 19 says, uh, you will say then branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief, but you stand in your faith. Don't be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you. Behold the kindness and severity of God to those who f- fell severity, but to you God's kindness if you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. If God, if it was over for the Jews, you wouldn't be saved either. That's what Paul's saying there. But it's not over for the Jews. It's not over for Israel. He tells us that by the kindness of God, we are saved. If you continue in the kindness Otherwise, you'll be cut off. Uh, Verse 22. That's our theme of the entire book of Romans. The righteous shall live by faith. If you live in the kindness, salvation salvation by grace through faith. If you don't live that way, you'll be cut off. Verse 23, they, the Jews also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. Although the branches cut off for a while, they can too too be grafted back in. Is it over for the Jews? No, it's not. Have they fallen too far? No, they haven't. I thought about my nephew in the last couple weeks. I've been preparing this. My my nephew's going through to be an electrician. And uh, he was doing some work at a job site. And he's very new apprentice. And as he was doing the work, he caught the top of his thumb with the saw, and it came off. And there he was sitting, and he was looking and going, I think I just cut the top of my thumb off. And he's in pain, and he's bleeding. And what he did was he wrapped it up and put pressure on it, and some people found the top of his thumb, and 
put it on ice, and then off we went to the emergency room. And then I went to see him, and he was with at my parents' house one afternoon. And he was kind of proud of the fact that he had cut his thumb off. Look, look, Uncle Mark, I cut my thumb off. And then he, I said, well, what happened? He says, well, it was, it was cut off, but then I had surgery, and they put it back on. And I'm like, well, is it going to work like it did before? He says, yeah, you know, it's going to work like it did before. I may not have have my full feeling in my thumb, but it's going to work. I'm so, so you're like, the thumb's pretty important. It's a pretty important part of your, of your hand for gripping and pressing the home button on your cell phone and scrolling your Instagram. <laughs> it's an important piece, piece of your body, but it's back on there. And it just reminded me about what Paul's saying here is that for a little while the branches were cut off because of their rejection. But, but if they come to salvation by faith, and if they believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, they can be grafted back in. They can be brought back in to the promises of God. I mean, this is an absom- absolutely amazing principle here because it, it tells us that God is not finished with Israel. That God always preserves a remnant. That God will always have people set apart for them. Behold the kindness and severity of God. If you are in a genuine saving faith, you'll always persevere and God will preserve. But God will deal swiftly with those who reject him. Verse 24, for if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to the nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are the natural branches be grafted in to their own olive tree? That the Jewish people, when they are saved by faith, they'll be grafted back into the original tree. Even though we, the wild olive branches, might look a little bit different on that tree, we too are grafted in. Which brings us to truth number four. And truth number four is that Israel is a part of God's future plan. Verse 25, he says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, to be, un- to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And so all Israel will be saved, just as it is written. The Deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So let's spend some time looking at 
God's future plan. Is it over for Israel? No. Has God rejected Israel? No. That a part of God's future plan is that all Israel will be saved. Put an asterisk there for a moment. But he says that all Israel will be saved. And he says when. First, he tells us that this partial hardening, all right, so there is a remnant of those who believe, but some who have rejected have had their hearts hardened. And this partial hardening is happening to Israel, and it's happening until the fullness of the Gentiles has been completed, meaning that all of the people that God has chosen from the Gentile world, when they have all come to saving faith, the one he has called, the ones he has called, the ones he has chosen, the ones he has elected, that when they all come to saving faith, then, then all Israel will be saved. And so we can bring about when does that happen? Well, in verse 26, it tells us when the deliverer will come from Zion. And when he comes from Zion, he will remove the ungodliness from Israel. The covenant promise is that he will take away their sins. All right, so let's look at the covenants and the promises of God. And, and we want to start in the book of Isaiah, and we want to look at Isaiah 59. And in Isaiah 59, the scriptures tell us that sin has separated his, uh, God's people from him. Uh, behold, the hand is not so short that he cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that he cannot that it cannot hear but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your god and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear psalm of uh, isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2 and so isaiah goes on to talk about uh, their sin and how their sin has separated them from God. That their salvation is far off. Uh, verse 11, all of us growl like bears and moan sadly like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. Why? Because their sin separates them from God. Look at Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 37, verses uh, 21 to 28. Uh, verse 30, chapter 37, 21 to 28. And it says, uh, Say to them, Thus says the Lord uh, God, Behold, I will take the sons of Israel from among the nations where they have gone. I will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. I'll make them one nation in the land and on the mountains of Israel. One king will be king for all of them. And they will no longer be two nations and no longer divided into two kingdoms. 
They will no longer defile themselves with their idols or with detestable things or with any of their transgressions, but I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned. I will cleanse them, and they will be my people, and I will be their God. Ezekiel is pointing to when the Deliverer comes from Zion. That when the Deliverer comes from Zion, he is going to remove all iniquity from his people, and he is going to be their God, and they are going to be his people. We're talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And let's take a look into the book of Ezekiel, into Zechariah. And in Zechariah, we have two chapters, and we won't have time to get into both chapters. But if you want to do a study of the book of Zechariah, you will greatly benefit from this study. Uh, in, in chapter 13, there is a repeated phrase over and over again about in that day. In that day, a fountain will be opened of the house of David for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and impurity. It will come about in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that it will cut off the names of idols from the land and they will no longer be remembered. I will remove the prophets and the unclean spirits from the land. I'll remove anyone who prophesies wrong. In that day, prophets will be ashamed of their visions. And then he says, Awake, verse 7, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man, my associate, declares the Lord. Strike the shepherd that the sheep may be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. It will come about in the land, declares the Lord. Two parts in it will be cut off and perish, but a third will be left in it. And I will bring the third part through the fire, refine them as silver is refined, Test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. And I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. Right here in Zechariah chapter 13, there is the promise of a remnant of Jewish people. The remnant will be a third that will be kept. A third of the Jewish nation will be kept, and they will go through the fire, and they will be refined as silver is refined and tested as gold, but they will come through all of that tribulation and they will proclaim that God is theirs and God will proclaim that they are his people. In chapter 14, we continue on. It says, Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you. I'll gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be captured, the houses plundered, the women ravished, and half the city exiled, but the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against the nations when he fights on the day of battle. In that day he will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is at the front of Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in the middle from the east to the west, to the very large valley, so half the mountain will move toward the north, the other half will move toward the south. You'll flee by the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains will reach to Ezeel. Yes, you will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord will come 
and all the holy ones will be with them. In that day, there will be no light or luminaries will dwindle, for it will be a unique day that is known to the Lord, neither day or night, but it will come at evening. In that day, living waters will flow out of Jerusalem, half toward the east, half towards the west. It will be summer as well as in winter. And the Lord will be king over all the earth in that day. The Lord will be the only one, and his name will be the only one. Is it over for Israel? Absolutely not. Has Israel fallen too far that it is over for them? No. Has God rejected Israel? No. Zechariah chapter 13 and 14 give us a time frame that there will be a great battle that will take place. And, and in that great battle, Jesus will come. The deliverer will come from Zion and he will remove all ungodliness and sin. And he will rescue Israel. He will be their people. He will be their God and they will be his people. All Israel will be saved. And what do we mean by all Israel? We mean all those who are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Those who confess and believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord will be saved. We already know the result for those who continue to pursue righteousness by works. And then Paul brings us, as we wrap up this week's episode, he brings us into the final verses. In verses 28 to 32, from the standpoint of the gospel, they, the Jewish people, are enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of their fathers. In the present time, the Jewish people are enemies of the gospel. They don't recognize the gospel. Paul says in Corinthians that they have a, a, a veil over their eyes. They have been blinded into a stupor. They cannot hear. They cannot see. But they are enemies to the, of the gospel because they pursue righteousness by works. But in the eyes of God, they're chosen. They're beloved. Why? Because of God's covenant he made with Abraham. For the sake of the fathers. And look at verse 29. Is God finished with Israel? For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. No. The covenant doesn't change. The covenant promises don't go just to the church now and there's no hope for Israel. The church has been grafted into the promises. The Gentiles have been grafted into those promises as a wild olive branch attached to the root which is Israel, God's chosen people from the beginning. There is great hope for the people of Israel. 
there is great hope for the Jewish nation. There is a deliverer coming from Zion who will save those who come to salvation by faith. He says, for just once, for just as you once were disobedient, but now have been shown the mercy because of their disobedience, so they also have been disobedient, that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may be shown mercy. For God has shut up all in disobedience, so that he may show mercy to all. Which brings us back to Romans chapter 1. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe, not just to Gentile. First to the Jew and then to the Greek. God is not finished with Israel, folks. There are people being saved in Israel right now. But God has a great future plan for Israel. And as he lays out, as Paul lays out this absolutely amazing plan of God's, how God had chosen Israel from the beginning, that how Israel rejected God, and because of their rejection, it opens the door of salvation to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles are being saved. But there will be a time where salvation for the Gentiles will come to an end. And when that comes, the Deliverer will come from Zion and he will rescue and save all of Israel. And that he will be in the midst of Israel and he will be their God and they will be his people. And this great plan that Paul has laid out for us, there's only one way to respond to all of this and it comes in verses 33 to 36 and Paul says, Oh, the depths of the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. God's plan is so much greater than we will ever be able to comprehend. It's incomprehensible. That's why we look and we say things like, how can God harden hearts and save others? Because God's plan is so much greater than what we could ever comprehend in our minds. Verse 34, For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. God's plan is so much greater than we could ever understand. But our simple response is to praise. And that's what I think Paul is doing in these final verses. That looking at the great plan for all of Israel, and think about this, because context is king. 
Because in the very beginning, Paul says, my heart is grieved for my people, that I would love to step in place for them and to take on the judgment so that they could be saved. Paul's greatest desire is for salvation for the Jewish people. He wants them to experience the same thing that he experienced, the freedom that comes in living by faith in Jesus Christ, that you no longer have to pursue righteousness by works, that you can live in freedom of sin. You no longer have to be a slave to sin. You can live for God through faith. You can have that. It's theirs for yours. It's there for the taking. That's Paul's heart in all of this. And so when he lays out God's greater plan for Israel and knowing that God has not rejected Israel, he says, this is my response to all of this, is that the riches, the depth of the riches, both the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are these things? How unfathomable are his ways? My heart is for the people Israel. I want them to be saved. God, I don't understand your plan and why all of this is happening the way it does, but you know, I don't need to. Because your plans are greater than I can ever understand. I'm not the one to give counsel to you, Lord. Your plan is great. Your will is perfect. And all I can do is respond with him to be the glory forever and ever. Amen. My response to all of this is praise the Lord that God is not finished with Israel. Praise the Lord that God's greater plan was to blind the Israelites, to put them into a stupor. Why? So that I could be saved. And that in my salvation, living my life for Jesus, that others could become jealous and come to salvation. Don't get arrogant about your salvation. Be thankful that because of God's unfathomable plan that we don't understand, that he has extended mercy to you and I. Amazing truths coming from chapter 11. So when you turn this off this week, you remember that God is not finished with Israel. God has a great plan for Israel, and it's coming. And they will be saved when Jesus returns. Praise him. For from him and through him and to him, are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that we can just read it and we can study it and we can understand it and we can look and say, yes, God, you are a keeper of covenant. That the promises you made with Abraham, you will hold to them, that your word is true, that Israel will be saved, that there is a hope for Israel in the future. There's also a hope for Israel now. 
that those who come to faith in Jesus. We thank you that you have always kept a remnant of your people. But we do know, Lord, that judgment is coming. Judgment is coming for both Jew and Gentile. And because we are in what Paul calls the time of the Gentiles now, we pray that many more would come to salvation. That through our lives and through our words, we would see people saved. That as we share the gospel and we live out the gospel, people would see something different in us. And because they see something different in us, they ask us about it. And we share these truths. Father, thank you for extending your mercy to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We appreciate you in joining us in this series of Unlocking the Truth with Preset Ministries Canada. Visit our website presetministries.ca to find in-person and online studies and workshops that will further your journey in His Word and give you the tools to know God deeply and live differently.